0: K-Y-W original podcasts. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. This week, the focus is our new normal for now. Coping with the coronavirus lockdown.
1: We're all being asked to very suddenly, radically change our behavior. How
2: to follow restrictions without going crazy. This isolation phenomenon is very difficult to take.
0: Public health and psychology experts give advice on how to make it through. Then, does the COVID 19 crisis open the door for lawsuits?
3: So, when people are creating a hazard, there are certainly laws and ordinances that allow law enforcement to address those. A former Philly city solicitor takes a look at business and individual
0: liability and her answers to my question. Well, they make you go, Hmm, we'll be right back. Hey everybody. This is flashpoint host, Cherry Gregg. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the flashpoint podcast. Would you do me a favor? Would you rate and review this podcast? We need your reviews to get us to the top. Please give us feedback. I read every single one of them. And I really appreciate you. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Flashpoint family. Now let's get to it. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is coping with this new normal. In recent days, local and national authorities have implemented restrictive guidelines for social interactions with the hope of stopping the spread of the coronavirus. Events cancel, schools are closed, non essential businesses shut down. Many are out of work or must work from home as we watch the numbers of COVID 19 infections and deaths tick up. So, how do we get through this crisis without going crazy? With me on the phone is UPenn Medicine Professor Dr. Dr. Carolyn Canuccio, she's director of research at the University Center for Public Health Initiatives. We also have Dr. Frank Farley, a professor of psychological studies in education at Temple University. Both of you, welcome to Flashpoint.
2: Happy to be here. Thank you
0: so much. Carolyn, I want to start to you. Could you explain this whole social distancing technique that we're implementing here and why it is believed that it will work.
1: So the concept of social distancing is that viruses really thrive in communities. They like to move from person to person. And when when we gather together in large groups, we give that virus an opportunity to encounter many susceptible hosts, many people who are susceptible to the infection. So the idea with social distancing is to put space between people to deprive that virus the opportunity of infecting a new person.
0: It started with large scale, you know, over 5000. And then now we're down to we can't, you know, group come in groups with more than 10.
1: It's a numbers game, really. We want to limit our social interactions because every time we encounter a new person that increases our risk of becoming infected or of infecting someone else. And what we've seen in the countries that have faced this epidemic before we have is that very, very strict social distancing measures were necessary to slow the spread of the virus. So we could see in China that in Wuhan, where The outbreak first started, people were really limited in their ability to move through the city. Schools and factories, workplaces were closed down. And all of this was a very dramatic way to strictly control human behavior so that people had limited chance to encounter one another. And it really took that effort plus testing and isolating people who were sick to get that infection rate down. And we're going to have to do similar things to control it here in the U.S.
0: Yeah, and we'll put a pin in that and come right back to that because I've seen um, the extreme things being done on the West Coast to try to limit the spread of this virus. But, Frank, I mean, you hear this and people already, it's only been a few days in our region that people have been dealing with this stay stay in your homes, work from home, kids can't go to school, and people are already showing some signs of discomfort. Explain why the social distancing is so tough on individuals.
2: Well, we're a highly mobile culture. We have the highest per capita number of cars in the world. We're always going places and doing things. And uh, we're social animals also. And connectedness is very important in all of our lives. And relationships are very important. They're almost central to our lives. So this isolation phenomenon is very difficult to take. And uh, it will take some massive uh, adaption to it. But uh, we'll do it. Charles Darwin once said that it isn't the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent, but the ones most responsive to change. And uh, so we're we're going to uh, we're going to be able to deal with it. But it's going to be very difficult. Our culture leans toward extroverted, outgoing, thrill-seeking, stimulation-seeking, risk-taking culture. And so, sort of locking us up in our domicile is going to be very difficult. But I think there's uh, you know some. silver linings here too, that is bringing us back to hearth and home and family and immediate loved ones.
0: Part of it is... I mean, people are, are forced to kind of be in their houses. There's a lot of anxiety. We've seen fights. There have been a couple of videos floating about fights in because people have so much anxiety. On the other end, you have folks who are saying, I can't get it. It's just a cold. And they're mm. out and about, don't even care about the social restrictions.
2: That's very bad because they could end up being so-called spreaders. You know, if they're defying the, uh, the rules, the distancing rules and so on. And uh, what if they are, in fact, carrying this beast? Yeah. They might then be uh, infecting others. And that's it, very dangerous yeah. behavior. Hey,
0: Carolyn, please jump in on that one. Yeah.
1: So one of the most challenging things about this particular virus from a public health perspective is that people may be able to spread the virus when they're not exhibiting any symptoms, So we're accustomed to the admonition that we should stay home when we're sick. But people who are, in fact, sick may not know it. So if they're going about their business, if they're deciding to go on spring break and fly down to Florida and go to a concert or hang out at a restaurant or bar down there, they really do run the risk of encountering many new people and sharing the virus with them. And that's exactly the behavior We need to stop. And it's in part because we really desperately need to slow down the rate of infection. Because if we have a rapidly increasing rate of infection, we are going to far exceed the capacity of our healthcare system. And I'm motivated to get every person I can to stay home because every single infection we can prevent prevents countless others down the road. And it will help my friends who are working in emergency departments here and elsewhere to provide the kind of care you want for yourself or your loved ones, the kind of care I would want for myself or my loved ones or for any of you when in fact we become sick. So I think there are many hard things about this. One thing that's especially challenging is that we're all being asked to very suddenly, radically change our behavior. I've been talking to my family about this virus since January, but I'm an epidemiologist. I've been talking to my epidemiology students, my students in my epidemics class. Even they feel like all of a sudden this is happening so fast and it's hard to get a grip on it.
0: Yeah, because it is. I mean, and one of the things that I've seen is sort of this anxiety. Everybody... getting very upset because they're watching the news, you know, round the clock mm. and they they feel this this fear that the end of the world is coming.
2: It does raise the spectre of the apocalypse, you know, the end of days. <laughs> and it may trigger some survivalist uh, psychology in people. We're all already familiar with the amount of hoarding that's going on. And uh, I did a piece for CNN the other day on, on that. A big focus on it was toilet paper, which has sort of disappeared from the American market. And uh, it's interesting, that piece went viral, including in China, you know, about all of the hoarding and and sort of panic buying that's going on in and America. Well,
0: why, does, why do people do that?
2: Well, in a sense, it's sort of rational, just in case. And, uh, you know, a prime source of human fear if not the prime source of human fear, is uncertainty. And mm-hmm. we haven't had anything like this for some time, and so it's, it's really catching on. It's just not a viral uh, contagion going on here. There's this, you know, psychological contagion going yeah. on. In a sense, it's rational behavior, you know, to stock up so you're absolutely sure in the face of all the other uncertainties that you and your family will be okay for the foreseeable future.
0: As public health officials, uh, Dr. Carolyn, how do you say, you know what, We're going to have to balance this need for these restrictions without causing this panic that could escalate. How do you do a balance, balancing act there?
1: It's a great question because we want people to be activated to do the things that are within their control, but we don't want people to become so overwhelmed that they panic. I think that what we see often in crises is that a high degree of cooperation is necessary to get through the crisis. I reflect back to my childhood growing up on the water, and think about what happened when huge storms would come through. And I didn't recognize the seriousness when I was a child, but what I saw was that everybody in the neighborhood would come out to the canal across the street from my house to tie up boats to the middle of the canal so that our boats wouldn't bump into one another and so that they wouldn't come unleashed and ruin people's docks. There was a certain amount of esprit de corps almost conviviality. What we're being asked to do here is not that different. It looks different, but what we're really being asked to do is think not just of ourselves, but to think of our communities and to really focus and center on the people we love and care about who are most vulnerable to this disease. So people who are older, people who have chronic illnesses, people who are immune suppressed, people who are obese. I think that when we call upon people's compassion and desire to care for one another, and specifically when we ask them to think about people they want to protect, and then when we say, do you want to be part of the solution? Do you want to save lives? The best way you can save a life if you're a regular community member is to stay home. So it feels a bit counterintuitive because the best thing you can do is to stay in place. So I think that if we help people understand the ways that they can help control this horrible event in our lives, it may be reassuring for them to know that there are actually steps they can take that will make a huge difference to our communities, to our families into to our healthcare system.
0: I know uh, washing your hands, staying home, canceling. I mean, my vacation to Cuba was canceled. It seems like everybody's everyday life has sort of switched. But I, I do want to, as we wrap up in the next uh, two to three minutes, I want to just kind of give people advice. Because, Frank, I mean, we've already seen an uptick in quarantine eating. We're calling it the quarantine 15. Um, and cabin fever. How can folks kind of deal and just kind of keep as much normalcy as possible while changing all of their behaviors to help deal with this crisis?
2: Be mindful, you know, uh, value the here and now, what's right in front of you, loved ones, your apartment, your home. Value all of that. You can survive this. The whole nation will survive it. You know, isolation from what? Isolation from running around and going to bars and all of that. You're not being isolated necessarily from yourself and from uh, the loved ones around you so value what you we have we will overcome this but take care of yourself your own health your sleep behavior your eating habits and so on don't let those go by the wayside because you got to stay healthy too
0: this could get worse what precautions can they take to help all of us uh, get to that finish line on this.
2: The very most important thing that
1: people can do right now is to minimize their social interactions outside their home. Only leave your home if you're performing an essential emergency function or employment that requires you to be present in person. Try to do all your grocery shopping at one time when the stores are not busy and then come home. Spend your time at home. Practice good hand hygiene if you're sick. Isolate yourself from others. Call the health department or your doctor if you have symptoms rather than going straight to an emergency room to get checked out and know that it is going to look worse and get worse before it gets better. There are lots of cases that haven't yet been identified in the coming days. We'll see that. That doesn't mean what you're doing is wrong. Stay home anyway. It will take several weeks to see the benefits of this social distancing. And I would just encourage you to know that you are making a big difference in the public's health by heeding this caution to stay home.
0: Frank, maybe people could do FaceTime. We did a virtual happy hour
2: had our wine in oh. our
0: individual homes, and we're still able to congregate.
2: Get familiar with your devices if you're not already,
0: <laughs>
1: you know,
2: no. and join the world outside. I mean, I'm teaching, uh, you know, I taught the class today, you know, virtually, and it worked beautifully. We can communicate with the entire world from a handheld device. So let's get to it.
0: Yeah. And as we wrap this up, I mean, any predictions on how long this could take?
1: I think we will see waves of this and we will need to enter into these kinds of restrictions periodically. But what I would say is know that in, at some point in the future we will be through this. But for now, emphasize what needs to be done today. Be present with yourself and the people you love. So stay connected and don't try to project too far into the future how things will look because that kind of uncertainty, I think, stokes people's anxiety.
0: Thank you to Dr. Carolyn Panuccio and to Dr. Frank Farley for talking about these important issues on Flashpoint today. Thank you. Next up, the state and local authorities threaten to crack down on those who fail to adhere to COVID-19 guidelines. Could this open you up to liability?
3: It's always going to be a question about causation. A former city solicitor
0: talks legal vulnerabilities for individuals and businesses during the pandemic. We'll be right back. Hey, Flashpoint fam. If you like what you hear, please stick around and take a listen to some of our past episodes. Some of our most popular episodes includes the exclusive featuring David L. Cohen from Comcast. He's talking about the $20 billion lawsuit against the company brought by entertainment mogul Byron Allen. In addition, we got a lot of downloads on our hair and identity show. It was inspired by the one and only Ayana Presley, who came out as bald. And if you're wondering what is human trafficking, take a listen to this Flashpoint Extra exclusive where a Philadelphia mom tells the story of her daughter getting trafficked at 15 years old. She's sharing it, hoping to save others. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review. Tell us what you think. Thanks all. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The newsmaker of the week is COVID-19. State and local governments have shut down businesses and ordered folks to stay inside. So questions have popped up. What if individuals or businesses ignore the rules? What are the legal ramifications? And what are some of the legal issues tied to these coronavirus restrictions? To answer some of these questions and more, we have Shelly Smith. She's an attorney with the law firm of Archer & Griner. She's the former Philadelphia City solicitor and currently sits on Archer's coronavirus
3: Task Force.
0: Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank
3: you, Cherry. I'm glad to be here.
0: A lot is going on right now when we're talking about COVID-19. What are some of the big legal issues that you're hearing about? The
3: hottest legal issues that we're hearing about are employment-related issues and business disruption issues. Until the state and local governments started to order closures of businesses, the biggest employment-related questions were probably about leave and how to treat employees. And then there, I think, were employees concerned about potential exposure to the virus because the more information that came out about it, the more uncertain people were as to exactly how it was transmitted. Now that the state and local governments have started ordering business closures, I think some of those issues have been clarified because businesses that have been determined by a governmental entity to be not essential are closing. So then those employees naturally are not coming to work. And then the federal government, in passing the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, has clarified some of those leave questions by requiring employers of a certain size to provide paid leave to employees, 10 days of paid leave. So the federal government has addressed some of the uncertainty that was bubbling up around some of those issues. For employers that remain open, of course, there's an issue about how to make sure that the workplace is as safe as it reasonably can be made. The CDC's guidelines about how to keep how individuals can keep themselves safe and recommend that employers, if they're remaining open, structuring their work so that employees can adhere to those requirements, not gathering in large groups, keeping six feet apart from each other, that kind of thing.
0: And one of the things that I noted is that the mayor here in Philadelphia has said that they were not going to deal with businesses or they were going to come down on businesses. That refused to comply. If you are a business and you decide, you know what, we're going to stay open. We need the money. Are you setting yourself up for some kind of fine or or some kind of legal action?
3: I think it's certainly possible. Um, The city invoked the Philadelphia Code and the charter, um, the emergency powers under both the charter and the code to issue the orders. Both of those authorities then give the city the option of enforcement against businesses that were refusing to comply. He also said, though, that they were hoping, especially given the nature of this emergency, that most businesses were going to comply voluntarily Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and their initial enforcement actions, at least if they were necessary, would be what I'm going to call softer enforcement actions by way of warnings and things like that, rather than penalties, because they really, the goal, I think, really is on the part of the city and the states that are doing this is to try to get people to comply because they want to keep people safe. The tension for all of these governmental authorities, of course, has been that they don't want to put businesses out of business and, you know, they don't want to create any more economic disruption that has already been created by this situation. So once you start penalizing and fining people, obviously, you're adding to the economic burden that businesses are already suffering by virtue of having had to close or reduce their operations, it wouldn't be their preference, certainly, to require their employees to stay home. Business operators want to keep operating, and the cities and states where they're operating want those businesses to keep operating. So you don't want to cut off your nose to spite your face. And I think this is the approach that the city's taken, just having listened to Managing Director Abernathy. They are doing everything that they can to provide as much information as possible about the real hazard that this virus presents to people to encourage voluntary compliance with the orders that... They've issued.
0: And that kind of goes to my next question because there was a video that went around, of, it was in Europe. Guy licked his hand, mm-hmm. wipes it on the, the handrail on a train. They'd evacuate the whole train. Yeah. He was arrested at that time. Right. Are individuals right. could they do things that could get them in some either criminal or, or civil trouble given the restrictions that are in place?
3: None of the orders have addressed that kind of conduct, right? When you're looking at individual conduct, I think you're probably looking at the regular routine sorts of offenses that police are trying to, law enforcement authorities generally, I'll say are trying to address on a daily basis. And of course, law enforcement people are at the front line of people who are endangered by multiple contacts with the public. You know, police in Philadelphia have two and a half million contacts or more with people every year. When people are doing that kind of thing, the guy on the subway is then creating a -hmm. you know creating havoc for public transportation and the way you deal with that yeah is with law enforcement you know when people are creating a hazard there are certainly laws and ordinances that allow law enforcement to address those they just have to figure out how to do that in a way that that's consistent with the way the police department is trying to handle this emergency more generally
0: yeah because the last thing they want to do i mean we just heard announcement this week from commissioner outlaw uh, talking about mm-hmm. they, they want to reduce the number of arrests for petty crimes because you yeah. know prison reform advocates are working to try to get as few people in prisons as possible because that could cause an outbreak inside of the prison. So <laughs> they're trying to avoid that right. as well. So are there right. things that exactly. individuals, uh, homeowners, people should be concerned about? legally as we wrap this up?
3: There are certainly some principles of liability already related to um, communicable diseases. It's always going to be a question about causation, right? I mean, I think as a homeowner, you don't have the same obligation as an employer might to provide a safe environment for the people that are in your house. But at the same time, you don't want to knowingly expose people to a risk. If everyone just abides by the Direction that has been given to us by the state and local authorities to maintain a safe distance from each other. In your living room, you know how you have a pretty good idea how many people can fit in your living room and not jeopardize that six feet. That's been consistent—the six feet of distance between people. The other thing is, you know, you just don't know. Everybody works in their own work. On, in, in in an ordinary circumstance, everybody works in their own workplace. Everybody goes to their own school, you know, and so they're exposed in whatever way they're exposed, and people don't even know because we. haven't had adequate testing in this country yet. We don't even really have an appreciation yet for who's been exposed and who might be carrying it and able to transmit it to others. And so the safest thing to do, I think, is really just to prevent the possibility that someone might contract the virus or, or believe that they contracted the virus in your house or in your car or, you know, In a situation, in a circumstance that you've created for them um, to just follow the guidelines that the government have given us. And I think that's it. Like you just follow the
0: guidelines, do what has been asked of you and you're less likely to uh, have some legal trouble. So with that, I want to say thank you so much to Shelly Smith. You're very welcome. Next up, it's all about coronavirus, but... It's census time. Or did you forget?
4: You were all ready to go knock on doors and do a lot of other things until the, the world kind of turns upside down. A group
0: of Temple students create ways of getting more people to be counted despite all the restrictions. We'll be right back. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. Now, we here at KYW, we are all about community, and a group of Temple students is not letting coronavirus restrictions stop their efforts to promote participation in the U.S. Census. Instead of hitting the streets, they have stepped up their efforts online. With me to discuss are our Patriot Home Care changemakers, coordinator, Temple Professor David Brown, and student and campaign leader, Lauren Edmondson. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint.
4: Thanks for having us.
0: Yes. And so this has been a really rough time for a lot of folks, but you all have come up with a unique way to rally folks' participation in the U.S. Census.
4: Explain. Absolutely. So we are part of a national competition to get more students and college and their communities involved in the census. And we were all ready to go knock on doors and do a lot of other things until the, the world kind of turned upside down. But one thing that we recognize is that this is the first year in the history of the U.S. census that people can go online. Uh, to fill out the census form. So we were ready to to go uh, online when things started to change. And as of March 12th, which is when the uh, census portal was open, we've been pushing people to go online to make sure that they can stand and be counted because I think it's very important for folks in the community to continue to do that despite everything that's happening around the coronavirus.
5: And so explain, Lauren, what the online efforts are. Sure, so what we've kind of been focusing on so far, we of course have an Instagram because a lot of students, particularly at Temple, are really focused on getting information online. And the census also kind of understood that as well. They understood that a lot of the younger audiences who are going to be participating in the census for the first time are likely going to be getting their information online and will be responding online. So we have our Instagram, Broad Reach to You, which will be closing on March 20th as well as just focusing on our own website, which is www.standtobecounted.org. We'll be also closing on March 20th. And really, our big focus is 10 minutes for 10 years. It only takes around 10 minutes to fill out the census, and we really want people to feel comfortable doing so with as much information as they can have because it's really so important for people to be counted where they are, when they are, specifically for this year's census as well.
0: And so hashtag 10 minutes for 10 years. Is this method working?
5: So I'd say it is working. As far as we can tell, we've had a couple more engagements through our website as well as through our Instagram. And specifically on our website, we actually have allowed for commit cards to be filled out. So originally before the Mar- March 12th date, when people can start responding online, we have the opportunity for people to, A, sign up, to be reminded when the census is going to be coming to them and or when they can fill out the census online as well as the being able to actually commit to count themselves. And that just takes place in terms of just filling out the census themselves. And I have to say, I think we've had a pretty good amount of response, specifically from our student body as well, and from the um, usually undercounted groups that are in our neighborhoods as well in the Temple community, too.
0: Yeah. And this is a huge deal, um, David, because... You know, we only get this done every ten years. Thousands of dollars are on the line per person who signs up, and yet now Mm -hmm. we have news that has kind of overshadowed that. How do you keep the census in people's forefront of their minds when so much is going on?
4: Well, that's a that's a great question, Sherry. I think that you're absolutely right that even before the virus hit, census really wasn't top of top of mind for a lot of people. We're dealing with a lot of other things. Now that we've got people dealing with, you know, just staying healthy and staying alive, you know, to say that we're fill out the census form becomes a little bit more of a challenge. This is why we think that pushing it on social media is very, very important, uh, because even though one website is closing, the other one, the uh, 2020census.gov, is going to be continuing to be open, and we're thinking that hopefully those organizations and those individuals who are typically undercounted will, in fact, be able to go online to do this, because even with the virus, those allocations of resources will be effective if undercounted communities are more severely undercounted. We want to make sure that we keep that message out there.
0: And so this is a competition across uh, universities and colleges. And so how's Temple
4: shaping up? Well, we think we're doing well. Uh, this is the National Bateman Competition where we have colleges and universities across the country focusing on one single campaign. Uh, and this campaign happens to be the census. So every college and university is probably facing the same kind of challenges we are. But we were very fortunate in that we had uh, done some crisis planning. We didn't know the crisis would get this big, but we still feel very good that our work is going to be able to get out there and get communities counted, which was our primary objective.
0: Yeah. And I looked online and I did the hashtag 10 minutes for 10 years. And quite a few people have been using that hashtag.
4: Absolutely. And that's a way for us to to, to not only gain traction, but to measure the levels of engagement. We think it's very, very important that we can, can continue to do that.
0: Are there mostly young people responding to this or do you find everybody sort of jumping on this?
5: So I'd say it's a little bit of both, Um, specifically on our Instagram, using that hashtag is a bit more young people just because they're a lot more comfortable using that platform online. But we have done a little bit more outreach in terms of our community. So we've reached out to the Burian Presbyterian Church that's by our university, as well as a couple other community organizations that have been helping us kind of reach out to other organizations that are reaching out to our undercounted audiences. And we have found that a lot of people are really responsive, especially to the tactics that we've kind of been focusing on. And I think that as a result, people have been feeling more comfortable with asking questions and feeling more comfortable with filling out the census as well.
4: Absolutely. I, I would also say that a lot of our students who have gone home have become more aware about the census. So they're educating their parents about making sure that they fill out the forms because our students have filled out theirs already. And this group actually provides a great... Great way for them to, to influence uh, other audiences. I think I
0: got my second notice in the mail this week. And so uh, I, I will be sitting down tonight to get that done. But, I mean, we're they, they usually send out, they have a few more notices that go out before census workers will hit the streets. And, I mean, who knows what's going to happen given the coronavirus restrictions.
5: And that's definitely why we're trying to focus on having people respond online, because this is the first time that the census has allowed for people to respond online as well, which is really awesome because it's so easy to just go to 2020census.gov and fill it out really quickly. And we're really trying to focus on having students understand that if they lived on campus in like a residence hall or a dorm, Um, that they're still technically counted at that residence hall or dorm, and that when they go home, they shouldn't be counted in their family census. Yeah, and so what
0: are all the details? How can people uh, participate and make sure that they do what they need to do to ensure their state, wherever gets the allocated resources that they deserve and and that they need?
4: Actually, it's quite simple. All folks need to do is go to 2020census.gov. There's a place where they can go on that webpage to go and fill out the census. They fill out the census. They do it only once. And the system will not allow you to do it twice, so you're not overcounted. So it's very, very simple. But the whole idea is to get educated about the importance of the census and then go ahead and take it.
0: I want to say thank you to uh, both you, uh, Lauren and to you David how can people mm-hmm. follow along with your progress
4: I would say the hashtag 10 minutes for 10 years is a, is a great way to kind of follow what we're doing but we also want to make sure that people have a way to engage despite advising around social distancing and so forth
0: Wonderful, so I want to say thank you to Temple Professor David Brown and to student and campaign leader Lord Edmondson for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news Thank, thank you. you We'll be right back Are you disappointed in the timing of your home care paycheck? Or are you being paid at all? Call Patriot Home Care today and know that your paycheck will arrive on time and that you'll be well paid. As a leading home care provider in Pennsylvania, Patriot offers the most comprehensive benefits package in the state. You can qualify for free health care, 401k retirement benefits, paid sick time and vacations, and and time-and-a-half pay for holidays. Who doesn't like that, right? So you can call Patriot Home Care today at 877-535-5550. That's 877-535-5550. Again, it's 877-535-5550. Flashpoint with Cherry Gregg is executive produced by me, Cherry Gregg, with associate producer... Ali Amato. it for the flashpoint podcast i hope you enjoyed this exclusive content follow us on twitter our handle is flashpoint show you can also follow me at cherry Gregg. if there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar let us know and we'll walk you through the flames to paraphrase singer-songwriter bob dylan a hero is someone who understands the responsibility that comes with their freedom i'm your host cherry Gregg. until next week thank you for listening